Are you an enthusiastic wine drinker but sweat uncontrollably over a restaurant list from Albarino to Zweigelt? Set aside your fears, relax, and start enjoying wine without worry. Here's your host, Jameson Fink. I'm at a bustling wild ginger on a Friday night. I'm here with Jane Ferrari of Ulumba. She's a winemaker and a communications expert for the winery. That's how we want And when you sit down to a meal with wine with an Australian, you let them do the ordering. So I did. Yeah, yeah, the taster and the... And the uh, and the Hanoi tuna. Okay. And do we want to wait on the short ribs, or do you want those as well at this time? I think um, I think we could actually do the two at once because because this one here is um, fermented from the the very very gently pressed free run, and then the wet pressings go in with this, and are co-fermented with the Shiraz. So I think if we can do those two with the the ribs, and then we'll look at this fellow with that. Um, with the lamb chops uh, with a bit of a spill in between. Happy with that? Yeah, Excellent. So we've got three wines from Ulumba in front of us. The 2013 Eden Valley Viognier, Eden Valley Viognier, the Guardian, which is an Eden Valley Shiraz, and then the Signature, which is a uh, Cabernet Sauvignon Shiraz blend. So uh, Jane, my question for you is when most people think of Australia, they think of um, Shiraz, but can you talk about Ulumba's history with Viognier? Yeah, sure. Uh, Viognier for us has been a, a bit of a labor of love because um, we, f- uh, we fell in love with the idea of an exotic aromatic that had a really textural palate which suits us down to the ground because all of our food is Mediterranean Asian and uh, you know we are a warm country most of the year. So the idea of an exotic aromatic with some texture really appealed to our idea of scallops, calamari, and that Asian-Mediterranean combination. The thing, the thing is, though, when we planted this in 88, um, there was only 15 hectares of Viognier left in the world under vine, all in Condria. So we really took their lead, and being the spiritual home of Viognier, we followed their lead, which said, if you want to make this true to form, you must have apricot, a little bit of uh, blossom, a little bit of exotic X factor on the nose, and on the palate, you've got to have the uh, the texture. And we just didn't get it. We had pretty flat, boring, uninteresting wines for a long time. And then we had an epiphany. We actually let the fruit really ripen to the point where the berries were no longer round. The skins were so soft that the, the berries had gone teardrop shape and were barely hanging on at the pedestal where they joined the bunch. And we tasted the fruit and lo and behold, honey and apricot. But you have to leave it really, really ripe. And really, really ripe white grapes in Australia can give you high pH and low acid and untidy palates really easily. And if you macerate those berries, you'll get really nasty, greasy, oily palates. So what we had to do is once we got the fruit ripeness correct for the aromatic lift and the flavors and the textures, we had to figure out a way to handle the fruit so that we didn't get an untidy palate. So we took a, a leaf out of the Method Champenois handbook we, uh, this is uh, 22 acres. Uh, it was planted in 1988. It takes us a month to handpick 22 acres. And we put the fruit in baskets overnight in the cool room. And uh, then in the next day, we whole bunch press the lot. But we only whole bunch press so gently that we just take the juice away from the solids without any maceration whatsoever. And uh, we only take 400 litres to the tonne. Because normally, if you crush a ton of Grenache or Cabernet, you're going to have 750, 800 litres to the ton. So very, very gentle pressings. 
the juice then goes into really old French oak hogsheads, 60 gallons or 300 litres. We get 90 to 95 uh, barrels off that vineyard and basically we let every barrel be an individual ferment. 100% wild yeast fermentation, no malolactic fermentation whatsoever because you don't want to broaden or soften the palate, it's already really ripe fruit. So um, when the, we have got about eight different wild yeasts that go through and push that fermentation through and at the end of the day when the yeast cells die and fall into the bottom of the barrel, we stir the lees which is called batonage and uh, that gives us a little bit extra X factor and essentially we out of that 90 to 95 barrels the ones that are really just jumping out of the glass with apricot with blossom a little bit of lemongrass ginger that's what goes to the uh, Eden Valley Viognier and that's why you've got that lovely textural component because you've already got the you've already got the flavors and the weight and with the wild yeast fermentation you've got that layering that vertical keep it tidy layering on the palate and that's why you've got that gorgeous slippery palate and folks say, oh, how do, you, how do you do it? And I say, well, it's a mystery of the world. <laughs> you know. It's great to talk about Viognier, but of course we've got Shiraz here. It's hard not to talk about Australia and talk about Shiraz, but I think people have a stereotype of it that it's monolithic, that there's just one kind of Shiraz. It's going to be big. It's going to be jammy. Can you talk about uh, Yulumba and what you do to uh, try and express Shiraz uh, in different manners to kind of break that mold and show the diversity of it? Yeah, sure. We're very fortunate because we've got a, a lot of really interesting vineyards to work with. And um, each different region is going to give you a different expression of Shiraz because it's quite the chameleon. But even within our region of the Barossa and Eden Valley, uh, some of those sub-regions are going to give you different things again. You know, some are going to be a bit smoky, bacony, butcher's block. Some of them are going to be a little bit more elegant up in the cooler Eden Valley, a little bit more elegant, vibrant sort of cassisi almost but the thing of it is you're quite right people almost expect every Shiraz to be big muscular over alcoholic sort of rich jammy wall of fruit now they're there but that's not our gig you know so what we do is we've got some vineyards that are 113 years on their own roots so we've got this gorgeous pre-european phylloxera viticultural treasure trove to work with and that goes into our octavius and that's a different expression again but we don't make dead fruit. We don't make extracted fruit. We, we try and uh, make the, the, get the best possible fruit off the vine and ferment them out to dryness and then put them in oak. Fortunately, our X factor that, that makes sure that it's not over extracted is the fact that we make our own barrels as well. So that's a whole other story. But I'll start with, um, uh, because we've got the, of our three wines tonight, the, one in, uh, the, one, the second wine is uh, the Guardian, uh, Shiraz Viognier. And when I was talking about the Viognier just before, about the really gentle pre uh, pressings and taking that free-run juice, we end up with a lot of wet pressings. So we basically take the lead from the coat roti and we crush those wet pressings in with Eden Valley Shiraz, which is a little bit leaner, a little bit cleaner, a little bit um, higher acid, a little bit more aromatic and lifted and we crush them together. We use about three, three or four percent only. Just a drop in the bucket is enough. And the Viognier basically fixes and deepens the hue, which is why you get that gorgeous purple ring uh, there in the, in the glass. It uh, cleaves open the Shiraz aromatic, so you get that almost um, aromatic floral uh, jet lift. And you get that almost crushed velour lush front palette that kind of dries out as the French oak kicks in and and draws the palate out. 
but that uh, that guardian is really we call it our metrosexual shiraz because it's really pretty and 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 it's got it's got length and it's got some some lovely uh, elegant texture in the palate from all that old french oak but it's not overbearing and you could put that with uh, with pork uh, pork ribs not used to having ribs and viognier but here goes it's good. I think I like it with the char on the ribs. I think the char is it with the where it sort of like brought out a lot of things in the Shiraz Viognier. The char is kind of like a smoky contrast to this lush wine. So I think it works in that way. It's like refreshing because of the, the, the strong smoky char of the grill. It kind of gets you ready for that next bite. It kind of cleanses and refreshes. Yeah, I, I would join this Viognier with those beef ribs. Why not? Jane, as you travel around America and document on your blog, which has been really fun to watch, um, what kind of questions do people have about Australian wine? What, what misperceptions do they have, or what do you find yourself educating them on? I find the, the, the first thing is that they don't really understand the age of our industry. They've all, we've always been called the new world of winemaking, and it staggers me really because we are... We are the new kids on the block, but we've got, we are the custodians of the old vines. You know, we've got this extraordinary viticultural treasure trove of pre-European phylloxera grapevines. You know, we just got lucky. And uh, back in 1833, 1834, when the British Empire wanted to open up our coal uh, fields up in northern New South Wales, the, um, the, coal, the Scottish mining engineer that they sent out to open it up, it was just happy accident that his son had done a viticultural degree, James Busby, and uh, in France, and then when he was out with his father, realized that we have extraordinary opportunity to grow grapes and wine here, right here, where his dad's working on the coal fields. So back he goes to Europe and um, keeps an extraordinarily docu- uh, detailed diary on uh, the way he travels around France, Italy, Spain, and Portugal collecting grape varieties to bring back to Australia. And so we, are, we have this extraordinary thing to work with. And so I think the first thing that people are staggered by is the age, is the age of our industry. The second thing is that they, did, they don't realise the extraordinary metamorphosis that we've gone through. Because back 1890 to 1915, of course, the Barossa Valley was called the Vineyard of the Empire. And what we did was make port, musket and sherry for the British Empire by the boatload and send it back. And it wasn't really, I mean, we made table wine for ourselves, but only in small quantities. And it wasn't really until the end of the 1980s when we had that huge um, uh, European migration after the Second World War and a very big government-sponsored Asian migration program in the 1970s that our food changed completely, demanding much more table wine. So it wasn't until the end of the 1980s that we actually made more table wine than fortified wine in the Barossa Valley. So I don't think they realise this ex- extraordinary change that we've actually gone through as well. So I think the other thing that they, they, they don't realise is how big our country is and, and the massive differences that exist between our wine regions. And maybe we haven't been as good as, at telling that story as we should have been because we do have... We, we take people out in our vineyards regularly and we'll show them two different Grenache vineyards Uh, two acres each, one mile apart, and we'll show them Riesling vineyards three miles apart. Um, And basically the differences in expression are terroir. We can prove that the French concept of terroir applies to our world, and we just haven't been maybe as good at telling that story as we could have been. 
And that's why probably one of the things I enjoy most about uh, my travels is that, you know, you tend to be the pleasant surprise from Australia that folks weren't expecting. So, long answer to a short question, I'm sorry. I like long answers to short questions, thank you. This is the lamb loin chop, so this is the sweetest meat on the, of the lamb. Now I'm diving into the lamb chops, these glazed lamb chops, and we're gonna try it with the signature Cabernet Shiraz mix from 2012. The lamb is delicious. A little spicy, a little sweet, sticky. Mm, yeah, I think um, there's like a, the nuts and the coconut that he mentioned that was in there. I think it really brings out something in the Miss Signature. I think it's really nice. It actually, when you've got when you've got that lamb in your mouth and you add the signature, it actually just goes, it dissolves one into the other. That is spot on. That You just can't get better than that. It's got that little bit of char. It's You can taste a little bit of that. It's soaked in, it's in, in cognac, and you, the pepper is just jumping around in your mouth like a pinball in a machine. It's bloody gorgeous. See yep. what I mean? It doesn't... Um, one doesn't start and the other one finish, it just... They're seamless. Rolls together. <clears throat> it's been great spending a Friday evening with, with Jane Ferrari from Yulumba, tasting some great wines, eating some great food, and I think what I'm going to take away from this experience, besides being very sated with great food and wine, is that uh, there's a diversity of styles in Australian wine. It's a vast country, and also the wines go with a, a, a vast array of cuisines. I mean, we've experienced sweet, salty, spicy, uh, raw, seared, grilled, and uh, all the wines have worked really well. So uh, I guess my advice would be just be adventurous with Australian wines, explore the country, the grapes, the regions, and don't forget to have some food.